Welcome to Anarchists and Androids. I am your host, Pearl, and with me today are Logar the Barbarian. I'm Logar the Barbarian. And parentheses, hi. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. We are going to take a break from Andor this week and talk about a different show that we've watched recently. And we'll be back to Andor next week. I think we're going to probably try, try to try to start talking about different uh, different media besides that as we continue on. <laughs> but the show we're talking about is oh, She Hulk, Attorney at Law. Attorney at <laughs> Law. Uh, now, as anarchists, you may be wondering why we're talking about an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm gonna put this out there. I am. Uh, I've heard a lot of. There's a lot of people do not like the Marvel stuff. It's the big budget, uh, mainstream blockbuster, popcorn, summer thriller. Disney's cranking all this stuff out. But as a kid who grew up, like I was born in the '70s, grew up in the '80s, reading these comics. I started in the early '80s, around a little bit before the Secret Wars thing happened. Reading Marvel comics, I have been an enthusiast for this for years before. Most people even heard of the majority of these characters that are becoming popular now. So when I see this on screen, this is like, I talked about this for decades. They should make a movie of, they should make a movie for decades Mm -hmm. wanting to see this kind of stuff on screen. So there's a part of me that's feeling that uh, nostalgia from childhood, from reading all these comics. I never thought I'd see a She-Hulk show like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And thinking of, like, nostalgia, too, from childhood. Like, the, the last episode of the She-Hulk uh, series, like, totally brought back nostalgia memories of the old Incredible Hulk TV show from the 80s. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> so, did y'all know that She-Hulk was originally created specifically because of the Incredible Hulk TV series and because of Bionic Woman. Ah, like a merger. Yeah. yeah, well, so tell them why. Tell, 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 the, tell the listeners why that is, though. So Stan Lee saw that the Incredible Hulk TV series was doing really well, right? Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, you know, there was also the $6 million man that was on television at the time, too. And then Bionic Woman was kind of a spinoff from that. So in order to get ahead of the game, Stan Lee was like, oh, we better make like a Lady Hulk so that we own the rights to it before it's a TV show. (laughs) And thus, the Savage She-Hulk was born. Is this like the first time that She-Hulk has been on TV? uh, The character has? I think that she may have been in some of the cartoons with the Fantastic Four and some of the other characters over the years in the 90s and stuff specifically, although I may be a little wrong on that. I'm pretty sure she was in one of those, I want to say, because she is a member of the Fantastic Four Mm -hmm. at some point in time. (laughs) Yep, she was a member of Fantastic Four when the thing lost his powers. Spoiler alert for a 35-year-old story arc. (laughs) (laughs) My first experience with She-Hulk would have, I think it was the Fantastic Four, it was Secret Wars, and I can't 100% tell you because it's been so long, but that was kind of the era I first discovered her. I definitely remember her having the little Fantastic Four outfit on that she had worn. That was when she was on um, Battle World, I believe. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on the series a little bit itself. What, parentheses I, what did you, what did you think of this, of this? Oh yeah, the series, like, yeah, I was, uh, surprisingly delighted with the series yeah, <laughs> yeah. like uh yeah like I, I was I went into it like not really expecting that much of anything 
and like yeah it was really uh fun enjoyable and it's interesting like uh like i enjoyed a lot of the stories and such right but like uh, it's interesting like how as far as like being self-referential or self-aware and all that like and talking to the audience it started in, with episode one even you know but just a little bit and it yes. got more and more and by the last episode it's just like off the rails <laughs> i mean that's what i was hoping for when they said we were getting she-hulk the first thing that popped in my mind was she better break the fourth wall because that's what the old comic that i was used to reading back in the day did she talked to the audience and <laughs> she tore yes. up books and scripts yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And and it makes me wonder even if like if one is to consider the She-Hulk series canon or not. It, did it officially happen, so to speak? So it is interesting that you bring that up, parentheses I, <laughs> because uh, according to kind of like canon when it comes to She-Hulk in Sensational She-Hulk, the series that started running in 1989 that John Byrne was writing, eventually they kind of incorporated the ability to break the fourth wall into She-Hulk's overall kind of pantheon of uh, powers or just kind of her general sort of like powers is to break the fourth wall. And I also want to point out, it was interesting. I saw some discourse online about breaking the fourth wall where folks were trying to say, oh no, this is a knockoff of Deadpool. She-Hulk was doing this in 1989 before Deadpool was even created. So technically, if you really kind of want to get into the weeds about it, Deadpool sort of took a page from She-Hulk's book in a way, which I mean, considering that this is all broad Marvel U and before She-Hulk did it, there were like those uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons and Daffy Duck cartoons where the artist was kind of taking control with the pen on the paper and Daffy and uh, Bugs Bunny were talking to the artist and the audience directly. Like that's always just kind of been a trope in general. So I, I think that it's interesting the way that it was done in this huge meta way yeah. with uh, She-Hulk at the big conclusion of the series. Oh, yeah. But then like, so with what you said, does that mean that like She-Hulk and Deadpool kind of like have the same power as the Watcher from the What If series? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, perhaps. Ooh. <laughs> a similar power at the very least. Yeah. That is, that's actually a really good point. I haven't read She-Hulk since the 2014 series, but I was getting caught up a little bit in preparation for this. And from what I read, she features pretty heavily in um, World War Hulk alongside i know i know that the watcher is involved with sort of the latter day stuff like since that story arc is wrapped up so i don't, I don't know that's a really ooh. so i'd like to talk about some of the, the the one thing that i want to bring up there are some of the things so there's two things i want to touch on here with this series one is I want to talk about some Daredevil stuff, and largely because I have a Daredevil tattoo on my arm and have been obsessed oh, with Daredevil for decades. Daredevil is one of my number one all-time superheroes. But also, I'd like to talk about, um, some, after that, I would like to touch on some of the social uh, commentary in the show, because it was not holding back with that kind of stuff. So I figure I'm just going to start with my rant on Daredevil, the fact that Daredevil has been brought into the MCU as the same Daredevil we got in the series, which was a bit grim dark of a series. 
And now we're seeing his first introduction into the MCU in a yellow suit. That's very appropriate for the character. If you read the Daredevil comic, at some point in time, they kind of retroactively created a grim, dark origin with a black suit where it was less of a suit. So it fits the character and the history of the character and the history of the books. But when Daredevil was first introduced into the Marvel Universe, he was wearing that yellow suit and it was far less of a grim, dark comic. So I'm happy that I'm getting this range of Daredevil from the comics that I could not even dream of or imagine of getting all by the same Daredevil, <laughs> the same person playing him. That gets me excited. Yeah, yeah. I was not expecting him to show up at all. I mean, I guess they kind of hinted at it in one episode by the showing the costume. Yes. But like having them like become a, a couple like <laughs> right away. That's amazing. And Daredevil, Matt Murdock has always kind of been a... Uh, We'll say a ladies' man. He's always been a lot of his characters. He has relationships like that with in a lot of the characters in the in the Marvel universe <laughs> throughout the years. Pearl, uh, <laughs> as a viewer and a huge fan of She Hulk, I found that deeply satisfying. <laughs> it was it was a it was a really because in the uh, twenty fourteen run where it was the the major emphasis was on She-Hulk as kind of like a superhero attorney. She faced off against Daredevil on a couple of occasions in that book, like during the run of that series. And it was always sort of hinted at that it's like, oh, it's a little, maybe a little flirty, maybe a little not. <laughs> um, so I think that it was a really, it was a really cool move for them to kind of explore that because especially considering the Jin She-Hulk kind of dynamic that was the theme of the series mm -hmm. daredevil just part of his characterization like he's blind he can't visually experience things in the manner in which most people do right so he doesn't necessarily process the gen she hulk dynamic in the same way because i think a big theme of the series is identity and visual identity personality and the way it's influenced by the way other folks receive you visually. So I think that that was a really interesting move that, oh, it's Daredevil who she has this immediate kind of connection with. So I just, I think that it was really interesting. Yeah. And I have no idea, like, cause uh, like I've started watching like the series, you know, uh, that was on Netflix. It's now available on Disney plus. And uh, I, I'm only, like, yeah, I did the first two seasons. I'm only, like, halfway through season three. So I don't know, like, how, if that changes anything or if the whole Defenders series arc, you know, if how that relates to any of this stuff or even if that stuff is considered to have happened in MCU canon or not. She-Hulk was in the Defenders. Oh. In, in the, the, not, in the, not in the Netflix Defenders, but in the comic book. In the oh, comic, yeah. okay. <laughs> so maybe... <laughs> maybe a revival of the defenders over at the mcu one day we shall see i would love that now the law thing daredevil's a lawyer and he's a catholic as wow. well so i feel that that matt murdoch might not be the biggest fan of me if i actually ran into him for certain reasons <laughs> uh, why is that 
uh, I feel that the person who relies on the law and all those kinds of things tends to oh. be a person who who is not the biggest fan of the anarchists. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like relies on the law, you know, with the government, the state, and then also the Catholic stuff, you know, God's yeah. law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that element. But at the same time, there's a lot of like, I've seen plenty of lawyers, people who get into law with similar, similar political philosophies, because they realize that it is a present thing in our society. It's something to learn to maneuver and to fight back against the system with. Daredevil kind of also does that. He says, you know, the law is there when it can when it can to use it to help people when he can. So he tends to be a public defender defending people against terrible things. He's not a prosecutor. And at the same time, Daredevil himself can do things when the law fails people. So he does work outside of the law itself to get the justice he's seeking. Now, some of the, some of the, some of the, some of the way that superheroes are written, they're just kind of like, they can be kind of just cops <laughs> beating up on poor and poor suffering people. That is a reality. And that has, that is kind of there. I acknowledge it at the same time. It is a make-believe pretend thing for fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. Some superheroes are like volunteer cops, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a really interesting quote that's been making the rounds from Alan Moore where he's talking about just the rise in, in the contemporary way that we view superheroes and sort of pointing out that there are some spurious aspects to it when you consider how it plays into broader hegemony, white supremacy, and um, upholds these kinds of systems in certain yes. ways. And I think that there's, there's a lot of validity to it, but I also kind of push back on that slightly and i love alan moore but i push back slightly on this as somebody who growing up i collected comics for almost 20 years and i stopped around 2018 or so when comics gate kind of started being a thing because it felt very alienating as a femme identified reader and consumer of this media that these creators felt as though oh okay we want to actively shut you out of this this thing that you built massive parts of your identity around you know i looked at she hulk as like this aspirational figure that i wanted to be like you know i was tall i was kind of big put together girl <laughs> so i was like oh i want to be her and then when all of that kind of started going down, it was like, ew, it felt yucky inside. But then I look to what the MCU is doing right now. And this series of She-Hulk is something that I never thought I'd get to see. And before that, the Ms. Marvel series, I never thought I'd get to see that. Captain Marvel, I never thought I'd get to see any of it. Lady Thor. I never thought I'd get to see any of it. <laughs> Ironheart is coming up. Wakanda forever. Like there is all of this that's coming up. And yeah, there might be some of these turds on the internet who are for some reason trying to say, go woke, go broke, whatever. But then I also look at these young girls, like teenage girls and younger, like femme identified, not just 
cis girls, femme identified people, LGBT plus folks, people and children of color who are seeing themselves represented in this media and they know that there is space for them in their identity. And it literally has made me cry. And Logar has seen this. <laughs> it, has, it has made me cry on multiple occasions watching this stuff and thinking that this next generation of fans get to grow up with this. And it's just a given. Sorry for the rant. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're here to do is rant. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And also, like, I think, uh, yeah, I was, like, also collecting comics, but I pretty much, yeah, it was, like, a time period, like, before you. Uh, so, like, it was, for me, I'm thinking, like, 87 to 2000 was when I was, like, yes. heavily involved with comic book stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. around, uh, I think I started collecting seriously around 1990. 596 and I first started reading Daydreamers and then I started reading Generation X but before that all of those comics from kind of the uh, 80s and early 90s I would read my uncles so I was, I was uh, reading some of those old like uh, Chris Claremont and other kind of X books I remember the first appearance of the X babies <laughs> <laughs> and that was a thing. I was really drawn to it. I'm like, I like Muppet babies. I love X babies. Yeah. So we kind of touched on something, the turds on the internet saying go woke, go broke. And I feel that that was uh, like the incel thing. And kind of there's this this backlash of the hatred that we see a lot from that kind of I guess incel uh, MAGA world that yeah, it's like an alt right kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and She Hulk directly involves this in the series, which I think is interesting. It directly addresses this stuff and makes it self referential to that. I think one thing that's that I would like to point out, just 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 aside from everything, Disney is a huge corporation. It, it, it's after money. It, it wants to get paid at the end of the day. And it realizes that if you're just pandering to a select few angry neckbeards in a basement, it's not going to make money. That this is global. It is like uh, people are realizing that there are more than just white men out there to purchase products and be a part of. And, and there is a global market that they're hitting. And that is not the, you know, angry MAGA guy sitting in his basement complaining that there's a woman superhero. There's just nothing really there productive for them to pander to. So, but it does, it does address these things. And, and it's interesting to see, and it's positive to see that when the powers that be being these corporations are beginning to tackle these kinds of problems in society, I'd say that that's a positive thing it doesn't smash capitalism but at least it's not as horrible of a capitalism when it was just all patriarchal white founding father slave owners you know <laughs> yeah so there is a shift occurring and the same thing like happened yeah you know, like that kind of demographic but incel alt-right people mm -hmm. like uh yeah they were kind of like the bad guys and some <laughs> kind of loosely organized force in She-Hulk. And it reminded me of the movie, The Batman, where they were also kind of like an organized force that the Riddler, you know, yes. kind of was like the boss of, so to speak. 
Oh, and I got to say, like, I, I just cracked up when uh, the, at the very last episode, when that one leader of the incel guys, he got the <laughs> She-Hulk serum and became like Hulk-like. And then the first thing he says is, come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was funny. I think it's interesting to see that that Disney is, you know, the, the people that are writing this, the people that are they're, they're paying attention to what's being said on the internet. They're responding to it. Well, I mean, a lot of the writers are femme-identified women of color. You know, like there's there there is a keen awareness of the impact of a lot of of this broader discourse in the internet just as a thing you know it because you know how vulnerable you are and i think that especially the second to the last like the penultimate episode of she hulk really extrapolated that i was crying during that um big reveal at the end where they're like publicly shaming she Hulk slash Jen, and it, I, th I think it resonated with me as a person who identifies as a woman and also operates in some pretty heavy professional spheres because you have to fight constantly as a woman in the professional world for your credibility. And I think that that comes through in both like creative realms and that also comes through in other professional spheres whether it's the law or other kind of professionalized spaces <laughs> yeah you have to, you have to fight constantly for your credibility and it can be upended incredibly easily by bad actors and that is a constant constant anxiety that you have when you are a professional woman who operates in public so it's like that was particularly resonant. It was like, oh my god! Like it was, it, it was extremely well done because of how true it is. Yeah, and definitely, I get the the feeling that with the Jennifer Walters uh, character, that yeah, her whole goal in life, you know, from the very beginning, was like just want to be a professional lawyer, and and that's it. And and then like her cousin becoming the Hulk, and then her becoming a Hulk was like kind of a an you know, unexpected, like curveball, like, like that was, she kind of viewed as a nuisance or a distraction from her goal of just mm -hmm. being a professional lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so, but then she kind of, you know, resolutely sticks with being a lawyer. So even though she kind of has to be a superhero, she's still mm -hmm. focused on being the lawyer. That's her goal. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I, th I think that's something that as a viewer and as someone who has operated in professional spheres where you have to conduct yourself in a certain manner and present yourself in a certain manner, and there's so much pressure with that, that sometimes reconciling that with who you are and your identity outside of that is, it, it does almost feel like a, like a nuisance. Like, seriously, it's, it's like you're asking yourself, why am I like this? You know what I mean? So it, I, 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 Man, that series was everything I wanted yeah. it to be. It was so good. Oh, oh is, is that yeah, your favorite of all the Marvel series? Um, on, so, on, on Disney Plus ones. Yeah. So She-Hulk has always been like my tippy top number one favorite Marvel character, bar none. Wow. Like, I love her. One of the uh, folks that wrote her, I don't think that it was John Byrne. I think that it was the person who was writing the 2014 book. 
said that she has the potential, She-Hulk has the potential to be the Marvel U's Wonder Woman because she has a strong moral center and an unwavering commitment to create the best possible outcome that's within her power. And that is just always something that has really resonated with me because I love Wonder Woman too. So She-Hulk series is definitely my my favorite so far. I really loved Ms. Marvel because Ms. Marvel is kind of like a close second for me. But those were the two series that I've been anticipating the most was Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk. Yeah. And that was, yeah, the last two ones that they released too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I heard that this is the last of like the, the phase four, I guess it is, of the MCU is She-Hulk. Is it? I, I So I here's the thing about the phases. The phases are were initially unofficial. So they're unofficial phases. And now I think there's kind of been some kind of official element to it. But I think it's kind of vague on the edges sometimes of what 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 entails an opening and closing of a phase <laughs> so maybe i need to look more into what officially constitutes a phase <laughs> yeah i because I, I originally i thought the idea was like some kind of big event you know is the end of a phase mm-hmm. and then it moves into another one yeah but i don't think so because like i i remember like one of the spider-man movies like was the end of one of the phases and that happened like after infinity war yeah. which was a huge event. I think that is an interesting observation because the way that they went in and did the last scene of the final episode where she's talking to K-E-V-I-N. Oh, yeah. And, Kevin, and then right it here. went, yeah, and it went from being this big bombastic final scene to something that's much quieter. Yeah. But she still kind of brought up a lot of really interesting questions. That's like, when are we going to finally see the X then? <laughs> oh yeah which like everyone's been wondering now yeah like, but yeah and it's, <laughs> and it's interesting that kevin was just like i can't tell you that but he didn't say no <laughs> it is a but then again we all know that x-men 97 is coming up so. and oh. we also we also have apparently deadpool is going to be featuring the hugh jackman wolverine i don't know if he's going to be the official mcu wolverine if it's going to be a multiverse thing or what but i'm curious to see what they're mm. going to do with a deadpool 3 how Will Deadpool 3 be a part of the MCU or will it oh. breach? What's, what, what are they going to do? So Ooh. speaking of breaking the fourth wall, like we, I think I want to put this out here too, uh, that when it comes to a character to address the real world critiques of Marvel movies, which she did and acknowledged some, like when she's talking to Kevin, she kind of, says ah this is crap you've done this too many times this is cliche yeah there's the formula to it too yeah Yeah, they're pointing out like like of all the characters to do that you could not have have a better character from the comics to choose to do that with being she is the one who originally breaks the fourth wall and confronts the writers to begin with in her own comic book back in the day saying this is garbage you're right you know so the person or the character to actually break that fourth wall being able to use that as a point to talk back to things that are being said online directly and out there in the public discussion i appreciated that i thought that made it a little bit better <laughs> i love the bait and switch too because kevin like initially you're thinking it's kevin feige who's i thought like we were in gonna charge- see him <laughs> yeah yeah me too yeah who's like in char- the god of the the whole 
Marvel Cinematic Universe. But instead, there is no Kevin Feige. There's only a robot that controls the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) I I liked that a lot. That was very much like something I would have read in a Marvel comic growing up. (laughs) Right? Wait a second. Isn't that kind of what Mojo World was? Uh, perhaps Mojo World. Oh, you know what? That re- was like one big TV show, Mojo. right? I remember Mojo, and I remember that. But I'd have to reread some of that because that's been. I think the last time I read anything with Mojo, and it was like probably 1992, 1993, 94 at the latest. It's been almost thirty years. <laughs> I just remember really. I, I remember Mojo sitting in a weird chair, and there's TVs everywhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I could I could be wrong. I could be being a total fake geek girl. You <laughs> I, I, I think fake I mean, comic fan. To, Mojo definitely had some kind of similar vibe going on with the X <laughs> in those X-Men comics that he was in. Do we have any other thoughts specifically on the series that we want to address before we are out of time? Because we're coming close on time. Oh, yes, again, some like little piece of an anarchist analysis <laughs> would yeah. be uh, regarding like the government and its laws that uh, for She-Hulk in particular and superheroes in general, mm-hmm. I get the feeling that like the governments and laws of Earth are they're just scrambling to like figure out and catch up about what to do regarding superheroes and superpowered people. Yeah. And it, you almost get the feeling that they're to some extent, they're just kind of making up the laws as they go along, <laughs> yeah. and trying to apply it and sometimes succeeding and other times failing. Like even She-Hulk, at one point, she's kind of in prison, but then they kind of change their mind. And and it almost kind of shows like the lie of government, how it's based on, you know, consent and people being threatened by great force. And I'm thinking with superheroes in, in play, like suddenly government no longer has a monopoly on violence. You know, you now have random people get these superpowers and then they have tremendous power yeah it's almost as if like random people suddenly got this huge nuclear arsenal you know <laughs> like, they can't really regulate it they can try to pretend and try to pretend that the laws apply to superheroes but it doesn't really match you know and so the government power and legitimacy is kind of like on the rock so to speak in the mcu world yeah i think that's a really interesting observation and i think that something else that it brought up in the series was the ability of wealth for access yes so we see she-hulk as a very prominent attorney and we see her being matched up with these clients that are not necessarily more intelligent than her but they can afford her services Mm -hmm. so i think it is really interesting the way that again and again they're lampooning the wealthy class as being inherently incompetent but due to their wealth, they're able to purchase participation in the justice system and the skills of someone who is not necessarily within their social class, but is clearly at a much higher level of functioning intelligence, et cetera. And that's actually a big difference between like Matt Murdock slash Daredevil compared to like She-Hulk, Jennifer Waters is like, a, yeah, she like gets more of the high paying clients mm-hmm. and Matt Murdock is more like poor you know, working class folk. Exactly. And then in that dinner scene at the very end where they're at the picnic and he's getting grilled by her relatives who are kind of looking down on him. And she's like, uh, the aunt or something is like, oh, so you don't really make much money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, pro bono work. A lot of pro bono work, they say he does. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Foggy Nelson, Nelson and Murdoch at oh. Law. And, and I hope that we see Foggy in, in, the, in the Daredevil series coming oh up. 
I, I am, I'm really looking forward to that. I really loved She-Hulk. And to be honest, 100% honest, 90% of it is, if you throw one of these superhero characters that I grew up with as a kid looking on those comic book pages, I'm just going to be excited seeing them looking live yeah. action running around. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah, like, you know, since yeah, we're about the same age, I feel like as children, they kind of got us like primed to be yeah. loyal customers for these MCU oh, products. <laughs> <laughs> and, Mar and Marvel, like here, Marvel was struggling for so long through the 90s. I used to read Marvel Age. They were selling off boardroom doors and everything else. Their movies were not very good when they actually could get a movie contract going. Oh, yeah. Um, I got excited about the uh, Captain America movie that came out uh, in the 90s. Uh, yeah, it I remember that. It, 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 yeah. It, it was it happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really liked it in the nineties. Like, yeah, it's a red skull fighting Captain America. I loved that. Then <laughs> so imagine what I thought when I saw it done looking all nice with the big butt, like, oh cool. <laughs> yeah. We're about on time. Uh, parentheses I, would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you online? Oh yeah, uh, you can find me. My, my blog, uh, parenthesis, i.blogspot.com, and I is E-Y-E, <laughs> uh, and then also on Twitter, at parenthesis, I. And uh, you can find me uh, here on this podcast channel every day with Wobblies and Wizards podcast. We're on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards, wobbliesandwizards.com, be in my blog. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Logar Hale Crom and Patreon at patreon.com slash Wobblies and Wizards. And... Uh, we need to find a good sign-off for this because I feel that Keep Those Dice Rolling is, is specifically Wobblies and Wizards, and this is anar Anarchist and Android, so we have to oh, find something. <laughs> oh, we got it. Remember, we got from the episode five of Andor, the oh, character yes. Bell said, everyone has their own rebellion. Everyone has their own rebellion. Yes, yes, that's it. That's the new sign-off. I've got I've to commit that to memory. I love that. Everyone has their own rebellion. Hey, parenthesis I, will you take us off with the sign-off? <laughs> okay. And remember, everyone, everyone has their own rebellion.